you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I am your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. I've got a very illustrious guest uh, with us today in the form of Todd Palmer. Todd is a 20-year entrepreneur. You're a veteran, really, in the business world, aren't you, Todd? Uh, (laughs) Business coach, keynote speaker, and author. Um, And we're going to be hearing all about Todd's amazing new book, From Suck to Success, during this podcast interview. So welcome to the show, Todd. Robin, thank you so much for having me be here. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear you say how long I was an entrepreneur, how long I've been an entrepreneur. And I feel like I, I started back in the days of the dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I, I, my first business I set up in um, 2000. So I'm not, I'm not too many years behind you. But no, you, no, you're not. not where's all. that time gone? Like it just flies by. Ah, it's funny when I tell the story, I, I give a speech. I used to give a speech. I haven't given it in a long time about starting my company. And I remember there's a slide in there where I had to actually research and get pictures of a phone that plugged into the wall, a giant thick phone book and everything else. Cause that was kind of my startup cost when we started a recruiting company with literally next to no money. But that, I think people have like forgotten that that dark art of actual cold calling companies, haven't they? Because oh, I remember yeah. like the, way way back when, you know, I I, my, I used to run a marketing agency, and um, we built our our business on having a, a good website and a BNI networking membership, and that was it. Sure, like, that was what yeah. you had to do back in two thousand and four. Oh gosh, totally. Yeah, now it's it seems a little different to say the least. Absolutely. Um, you, you've got lots of thoughts around kind of some of the things because like b- business is hard, I think, or it's harder, I feel, in this day and age that we live in now because there's sort of 10 times the number of businesses out there. It's the global world, you know, your fingertips, global marketplace. Um, but actually, I think that's made it a lot harder to to get found for many business owners. But there's reasons why business owners um, end up with certain levels of, of success and others struggle. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, for me, I found that it's typically the the bottom. There's a bottleneck in every business. Um, typically, I hate to say it, typically the bottleneck is us, is the entrepreneurs. I know I found for myself that all the problems in my business stemmed from one source. It was people. Well, who picked the people on the team? I did. Who picked the clients? I did. Who placed the candidates? I did it. My company was diversified industrial staffing. It was always a people problem. And as I've been coaching, I retired from that business four years ago and I've been coaching full time. And in the, with the you know, dozens of clients I've worked with, it typically comes back to it's always people. And the flip side of that is, you know, talking about how hard it is to do business. So much of it's our mindset. Is something happening to us or is something happening for us? Uh, quick story. March of last year, I was supposed to be on six different stages in three different countries, talking to entrepreneurs and, and speaking from stage to my ideal coaching clients, potentially. Well, I lost all of those stages within two weeks due to the COVID shutdown. And what do I do? Well, I, I pivoted, decided COVID was happening for me, not to me. And in that pivot, I spoke with directly with 42 CEOs in 67 days. And in that process, I got zero clients. You're thinking, oh my gosh, what an awful marketing pivot that was. A blessing in there is that those 42 people became my greatest sales force. And those they connected with their friends and their colleagues and then their network. And my business has grown almost 400%. 
during a time where my ideal marketing vehicle of being on stage was taken from me. So I just think that if an entrepreneur has the right mindset going into some of these things, they can really find the opportunity within a lot of these tragedies. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because I had very similar sort of thing happen as well. I had about a dozen fairly sizable speaking engagements booked sort of pre-COVID. And then Mark, well, here in the UK, it was March the 26th was D-Day for or C-Day for us, I think we should probably call it. Um, yeah. and, and all of that just, just went. And I mean, thankfully, many of those got sort of repositioned online. So, you know, it all wasn't lost. But probably in that one moment, I think I said goodbye to about 15 Ks worth of revenue, you know, no speaking gigs, which I'd already booked. Um, or at least it was it was poor. Um, but it did make me kind of um, rethink and realize that, um, you know, what a great opportunity it was because you, you kind of get stuck in the doing the same old thing each and every day right. and don't really question it when it's kind of working all right. So I bet you probably see a lot of CEOs who, um, you know, you're sat there thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe you're actually still doing it this way. Like, why, why are you doing it that way? <laughs> I happens to me uh, a little, pretty much on a daily, if not weekly basis. Um, and we, we do, we are creatures of habit and in being a creature of habit, we seek dependability, reliability, and security. And when I'm coaching my CEOs, half the time, my job is to do pattern interruption so that they can realize that there's a different way to do things. And I always go back to, as I talk about in my book from suck to success, the, the classic case is my mistakes. I don't, I don't talk about, I just say other people, I'd rather just say, listen, I was, in a very crappy spot that I put myself into trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And when that basically got me $600,000 in debt on a $2 million runway. So anybody who's got an ounce of accounting understanding, basically is like, Oh my God, you were upside down. You crashed the business. Basically. Yeah. It's, if I was a boat, I was the Titanic. I hit the iceberg because I drove into it. Not that it was a mistake. It was my choice. And I finally at, you know, it was September of 2006, I had to reach up my hand and ask for help and I hired a coach. And I realized the first thing he said is I had to change my mindset because he used to call it the doom loop. All you're doing is repeating the imposter syndrome in your head about how you're not good enough, how you're not enough, how the world is against you. All these things I was saying to myself that I thought was one time motivating, which is now becoming debilitating, old pattern, new pattern. And with his help in eight years, we got out of that debt. We, I, I had to fire my entire company in September 9th of 2006, start over. And changed the way I hired. I, we used to hire people with backgrounds and experiences in recruiting. I pivoted into hiring for DNA, not for resume, because I could train people to be a good recruiter. I couldn't train people to have our core values. They either had them or they didn't. And paid off all the debt in eight years and made the Inc. 5000 here in the United States as one of the fastest growing companies a crazy six times. So by shifting my mindset, stop doing the things that don't work, pivoting to things that will work, that's how the business became successful. Sounds to me like there was probably quite a bit of, uh, um, I don't know if this is the right word, Todd, maybe you can correct me, but a bit of a grieving process there, which you had to go through in order to kind of let go of what the old Todd was doing and like start to embrace how the new Todd was going to see the world. Oh, that's a great way to phrase it. In fact, it's the, it, yeah, I, it's the opening of my book is my grieving process. We, the book starts on September 9th, 2006. And when I fired everybody and the opening sequence of the book is basically Todd sitting behind his office on a parking curb crying his eyes out because of all the choices and mistakes he had made. So yeah, absolutely, there was a total grieving process. Not only was there a grieving process, but as I moved through the, the arc of the business and the success it had, is there was also a, 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 a grieving process for my loss of my sense of self and who I thought I was, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a leader, as a partner, all of those different things so that I could pivot into 
who I genuinely needed to be. And I had to do a grieving process with a massive loss of sense of self for who I used to be. It's, it's fascinating. I, I, interestingly, I was talking to somebody earlier on um, about a, a $10 million mistake, which they made. Wow. Uh, and, and I was like, <laughs> I pulled them up on the word mistake for a start. But what, what had happened was they'd um, sold their business. And because of the structure of the deal, um, unfortunately, the new owners of the business, it fell through after about 18 months. And so they lost pretty much all of that $10 million. Oh, and he, he saw it as a massive mistake. I was like, listen, in order to properly understand money and your future and how to like build wealth, you couldn't have actually paid $10 million to get you that level of education. Right. You, know, you had to go through that in order to understand it and feel it and embrace it and, and then, you know, go through the change process. So I think sometimes kind of, um, you know, calling these things as a, a mistake as such, um, it's, it's sometimes it's the terminology we, which we use. And I bet you're, when you're sat there listening to some CEOs as well, you're probably like, oh, hang on a second. You probably shouldn't speak like that. There's a better way to look at things. Uh, well, absolutely. What's the opportunity? Yeah, it, it, I used to think that failure was fine, was a determination of, of not only the business, but of my self-worth as a human being, my self-worth as a leader. And every failure was tragic and it was final. And it was, you know, just put any adjective of, 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 of enormity attached. And that's what I used to think. What I realized that when we make a mistake or something just doesn't work, something just doesn't work. It's nothing, it, it's a learning opportunity. It's really, you know, it, it, it's, it, if, if, our, if our journey as an entrepreneur is a hero's journey. And that's one foot in front of the other. And something doesn't work, or we do make a blunder, or there is a mistake that occurs. It's a learning opportunity. And we can, we can learn from that. And then we, we polish that stone and we continue to hone it and refine it, hone it and refine it. You know, it, it took us about three years at Diversified to figure out the best process to get out of debt. And it all started with, again, talk about this in the book, is what was my intention, not my expectation. And my intention was to get out of debt. I didn't have an expectation of how I was going to do it. And by, be, uh, by a, being able to stay in an intentional mindset, I was actually more creative, more understanding of when things didn't go well, because we learned, well, if there are 10, th- 10 things in this process that, that it, it's included, five of them worked great, five of them didn't work great. Get rid of the five that don't work great. Keep the five that do work great. Pivot through those, iterate, 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 and learn. Then, and only then, were we able to get to a place of, uh, of success, uh, find that infl- inflection point between an increased demand and a diminished supply in the human capital space in order to get out of debt. And oh, by the way, we can get paid faster and charge more, improving our margins. But it, by all means, it was all through skinned knees, falling down, getting back up and learning forward. Oh, there's, there's so much which I, I can kind of take out of that. But you, you're speaking my language and you're talking about sort of charging more and, and um, sort of growing those um uh, margins. Um, there was something which he said as well about the hero's journey, and the hero's journey always involves this point of where things get very uncomfortable for a while. And I know that something which you talk about in the book is um, about ditching the comfort zone. So, talk to us about what, what that is and how that works. Well, the reality is, growth only takes place when we're uncomfortable. You think about it going, going to the gym. You know, if you're doing curls and barbells at five pounds, your muscle's not going to grow. Increase that to 25 to 40 pounds, yeah, your muscle's going to hurt but your bicep's going to get bigger. It's going to get stronger. It's in those moments of discomfort is where the magic takes place. It's getting, as a leader, part of our job is to get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And and then from that growth opportunity, it's, it's where we stop doing the things that don't serve us well. We start doing things differently. And, you know, I got to give full credit to, to my coach. I, I still, so I coach, 
Um, and I have a coach. My coach is Danny Friedland. He's one of the world's leading neuroscientists. And he talks about how we use different parts of our brains and how like you're talking about today, how we, the language we use, how do we do our self-talk? How do we talk to our teams? And all of that allows us to get through those uncomfortable moments with a whole lot more optimism, a whole lot more brutal reality recognition. This is where I'm at. This is where I need to go. It's, it's getting there. We're not there now yet. How do we get there soon versus we're not there. We suck. Like I used to talk to myself. I suck. We suck. There's a way to pivot through that. And I, and the, and the blessing of having the book is that people can read about it and they can apply it in their lives immediately at the end of every chapter. There's a, the active learning cycle and you put yourself into the active learning cycle to grow through whatever issue you're facing. Yeah, it's um, it's very similar to what we say about fear, fearless and and um, how fear uh, shows up in business as well, and just some of those. Um, uh, in fact, that you're talking about sort of lifting the the, the barbells, the dumbbells. There about um, it was a weightlifter called Jersey Gregorek, and he has a great quote, which is um, hard choices, easy life, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Always have to uh, make sure I get it in the right order there. But fear is the same. Like you know, good stuff always sits just the other side of a hard choice good stuff always sits just the other side of fear and the same with pain good stuff always sits just the other side of pain if you can just stick it out for just a little bit longer so such, such a great point um you also talk about five five key ways um to winning the battle for talent as well so this is all around like how you go about hiring and finding the right people yeah well that's because i believe people you know one of my philosophies is people are the biggest differentiator in any business regardless of whether you do tech, manufacturing, service-based, restaurant, it doesn't matter. People are the differentiator. And so as, a, as an entrepreneur, as an employer, as a CEO, we have a responsibility ultimately, really we, as CEOs, we should really have two jobs. One, we remove bottlenecks within the organization, regardless of the department, we help our teams. And second, we make it easy. We make it easy for customers to buy from us and we make it easy for employees to work for us, work with us. And part of that process is being that employer of choice and being able to attract the proper talent. Because without the proper talent, it doesn't really matter if you have a better mousetrap because nobody's going to be working for you. And then once we get the proper talent on board, then, then part, half of our journey is just over. We've got them on. Now we have to treat them with proper respect, courtesy, create psychological safety in the workplace. So I, I always say when, the, you know, when it comes down to the five ways uh, of fi winning the battle for talent, first and foremost, Number one, we have to be an employer of choice. Why does somebody want to work for us? Number two, what is our purpose? Why are we there? Certainly, I, I appreciate any entrepreneur who says this, well, I'm, I'm in business to make money. Of course, that's, that's kind of a given because if you're, if you're not in business to make money, then you really just have a hobby. It's not a business. So what is your reason for being there? N number three is where, where, do you, where do you get your greatest next hire? Your greatest next hire comes from your current great staff member. And oh, by the way, how do we lose our greatest staff member? They leave us because they don't like working for us. So, so part of our goal is, again, being an employer of choices, making us a desirable place to work. By doing that, we then keep our great talent with us. We then allow them to bring in their next piece of great talent. And, and the last part in, in the process is, is to really recognize that we have full employment right now, by and large, across the globe. So we have to have a sense of urgency. We have to be fair in the marketplace. And we then, in that sense of urgency, when we make the offer, be fair. And then also give those people the opportunity to participate in the career they want to develop, not just the career we want them to have. 
Awesome. And um, I think I think you may have kind of touched on this towards the start of the interview, but you talk about failing forward as well. I know this is quite a popular sort of topic at the moment, but too many people, like, I used the word mistake earlier on, but too many people see failure as like a, um, something bad. But actually, I see it as something, you know, amazing, which you can actually learn from. So how do you fail forward? It, it's learning. I, I just psychologically, if you think about the, a, a lot of the things we have struggles with, I know I had struggles with is the definition we assign to something. So failure, stress, et cetera, the really, the realization is we didn't really fail. We learned. So if we can replace the word failure with the word learn, we go a lot further. Talk about stress. You know, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm so stressed out. I can't get anything done. And they just, they accelerate up that. The reality is stress is neither good nor bad. It just is. It's the, the assignment of definition we give to it. Um, you know, think about it from an athletic perspective. Someone's got a big game to play. There are people who use that stress as fuel to be successful. There are other people who use that stress as fuel to be, to be unsuccessful because of the way they talk. Uh, I work a lot with athletes and, and basketball players, you know, they have shoot free throws. They will say to me, um, I hope I don't miss the free throw versus I'm going to make it. I know it sounds so simplistic to the audience. They're like, oh, that's nonsense. If you, you put yourself under an MRI machine, this is what Friedland and I did. Put me under an MRI machine, ask me questions, see what parts of my hemispheres, different hemispheres of my brain fire. Well, I'm using different parts of my mind. If I'm fight or flight, I'm using my amygdala. If I'm in my higher cerebral cortex, I'm using my creative part of my brain. If I say, when I make this shot, boom. Well, when I don't make that shot, well, was my, was my hand off? Was my arc off? Versus, okay, don't miss. I'm literally using the fight or flight part of my brain, the least effective part of our mindset. Uh, well, there's there's an even uh, lesser effective part of the mindset as well, which is when people don't even take the shot in the first place because that, they're too afraid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's really the law, that's the law of avoidance, and we use the law of avoidance because we have a, a definition of ourselves, and we avoid because it's it's a huge threat to psyche to change our definition of selves, even if it's better for us. It, it's crazy. Uh, which I, there was a it was a famous basketball player, wasn't there? Who said that you know you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's so it's and then you got Wayne Gretzky, who's you know in my opinion the greatest hockey player of all time. He's like again, it's you you, you got to take the shot because you 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 miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Absolutely. Um, I want to kind of um, now rewind the clock a little bit. How did you get into entrepreneur? I said you're a veteran. That's probably not the best word to use. I don't know. You, you don't look a day over 40. It's fine. Um, uh, well, it's, it's, it's amazing what a little makeup and a, and a little lighting will do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How did, how did your journey start as, a, as an entrepreneur? Did you always want to run your own business? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I was very much a rugged individualist in high school. Uh, I kind of just saw things a different way than a lot of my peers. Uh, and, you know, at times it served me well, but I really got into being an entrepreneur because, because I became a single father at the age of 21, 22. And it, the story I told myself was if I actually work for myself, I control my own destiny and I will actually have more time, which was absolutely 100% wrong. Um, but I, I, I got into it because I really realized that for me, my core value, my core purpose in life at the time was to be a dad, not to be an entrepreneur or to be an employee. I'm sorry. I want to be a dad. And, I, and being an, uh, an employee and the demands and the travel and the expectations my, my bosses would have from me wouldn't allow me to be home with my son every night. So I, I made the idea that I will start my own little business and see how it goes. But I was really doing it. I didn't even realize it as I was building a job. And then I realized I needed help. So I had to build a company. And the skill sets that caused me to build the job were really good because I was very independent. I could cover multiple areas. 
Well, as I tried to scale the business, I found that what was really successful for me in the beginning, the rugged individualist, wasn't so successful when I tried to teach other people how to do it because they, were, they weren't as good as I was, or at least that's the story I told myself because I didn't have the proper measurements, I didn't have the proper KPIs, I had no metrics. I was just, you know, that's not how I would do it. Well, that didn't work really well. And people would get irritated and they would quit and I'd create problems. So being a rugged individualist, building a job was, was okay. When I wanted to scale the business, I had to relearn or learn new skills that I didn't have. So that was a challenge as an entrepreneur that I didn't even take on or realize I was going to be taking on. I think it's hard sometimes figuring out what you're good at and what you're not good at as well. When the, the, when your business is the only thing which you've known, I think, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, well, I have a little bit of envy for people who do have jobs because you're kind of molded in a certain way of thinking that somebody has already created 10 to 20 or hundred years ago, you know, depending on the age of the company. Yeah. Sure. As entrepreneurs, when you're kind of, you found it and you run your own company, it's kind of, you're expected to kind of know it all. And it, that's quite a hard place to be, isn't it? Oh my gosh. And that's where my imposter syndrome flared up because I, I, you know, I'm growing and scaling the business and my employees would come to me and ask me questions I didn't have the answers to. And then I beat myself up. And, you know, I used to basically think I had, to, I had to be the Oracle. I had to knew I had to have all the answers to all the problems for, everyone's issues all the time, which is absolutely that perfectionistic streak was a huge weight across my shoulders. I could not bear versus recognizing and realizing that the power of the tribe, the power of the team could go a whole lot further. And, and instead of asking for help, I would just turn inward. I would isolate. I would operate from a, in a vacuum. And that did not serve me well any longer. And as I evolved, and even now as I work with my leaders, I'm like, there's such a power of the tribe. Let's set up the proper communication protocols because one of the biggest mistakes I know I made and a lot of entrepreneurs still make is they under communicate, not over communicate. Let's communicate where the business is. Let's communicate the, the needs of the business. I just call, them, I call my clients. I, I love working with my CEOs. I really work for the company because the company is the baby and the baby doesn't have a voice in the room. I am the voice as the coach of the business because we have to do what the business best needs, which sometimes, believe it or not, is actually direct counter to what the, the CEO thinks it needs because the CEO can be sometimes incredibly self-focused versus focused on the, the overall good of the team, the overall good of the business. So all these things spin into place, at the, but at the end of the day, it, it's an amazing, being an entrepreneur is an amazing job. Being an entrepreneur is an amazing career choice because ultimately we do have the control and the power, but heavy is the head that wears the crown. With, with the riches comes the responsibilities and sometimes we don't recognize that. Yeah, and I, th I think it's about being kind to yourself when that happens. You know, I, I speak from personal experience here about sort of growing and building a team and I've done it through two businesses now, which I know is not many in the grand scheme of things, but um, two, two very important businesses to me. And um when I when I'm able to humble you know be humble and stand up and, and after somebody's asked me a question and I can say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. I think you get a lot more respect out of your team than you know trying to crack the whip when you don't actually know what you're talking about. Oh, dude, I, absolutely. I talk about it in the book. I call it ATV, authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability of leadership. If you can stand up and say, I don't know the answer, but let, let's figure it out, or hey, what do you think? I, I always try to get my leaders, especially when they don't know the answer, speak last. Ask the room what it thinks. There might be a great idea sitting there uh, that you don't even know about, but if you speak first, often the tribe wants to follow the leader and they want to keep you happy and they want to keep their jobs and all those different things they tell themselves versus, you know what? I have some ideas around that, but you know, Robin, why don't you tell me what you think? And John, why don't you tell me what you think? Sarah, why don't you jump in? Let's hear what the room says. Well, all the time, we're just basically 
biding our time, hoping a really great idea services. All we have to do is say, you know what, Robin, I think your idea is the best idea. We're just going to go with that versus, I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's all about diversity in ideas, I think, because um, it's very easy to get caught up in like an echo chamber. And I don't know if you've, um, there's a new app, well, it's been around for a year now, but called Clubhouse and seems to be, it's the same people on the stage saying the same things like over and over again, they're getting asked the same questions all the time and getting the same answers. And periodically somebody else just pipes up or chimes in with a different perspective on things. And you're like, there's the goal. There's, there's the difference of opinion that's really going to count and really matter. And, and I, I'm a big fan of like any, you know, a leadership, it should certainly never be just one person. Leadership right. should always be a group and as diverse a group as possible, because then you get, if you ask 10 people for 10 answers or solutions to a problem, you're going to get a hundred different ideas rather than 10 of all the same things. Well, and part of the model too is to, is the leaders to create the psychological safety in the room that we can put up a hundred crazy ideas. There's no such thing as a bad idea. Let's just put everything out there. And then let's start, you know, paring it down and, and linking up. And from 100, 100 crazy ideas might be a piece of gold. And, and But that piece of gold is a combination of idea number 60 with idea number 90 to make a brand new 101. And that's the, that's the magic. But if we censor them, we don't allow them the opportunity to be expressed. You know, such a, such a powerful thing in business as well as in life is for someone to be, someone to be seen, someone to be then heard, someone to be then become known. And ultimately to become accepted by the tribe. Once you do that as a leader, then you potentially could have an employee for many, many years, a teammate who's going to be, you know, you know, crushing it, helping your business because you you basically on a humanistic level help them be seen, be heard, be known, and be accepted. Hundred percent. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, it sounds like as well. You know, you you talked earlier on about um, when you your business was in debt and you had to restructure it and fire some people, and that was a pretty t- t- sort of trying time. You obviously had to make some very hard decisions at that point. Um, but w- g- could you give us an example of some other times in your business where you've had to be completely fearless and do something that you kind of have really worried about, or stressed over, like you've lost sleep <sighs> over? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I had a. I've had a coach in my business and in my life since 2006. I've had two coaches. First one was named Greg. The current one is named Danny. And I remember Greg and I had a, a conversation during the recession here in the United States, 2007, 2008, 2009. And I, I, I came across a software platform that I just felt in my gut was a force multiplier for the business. And I said, I, I, I really believe I should buy it. It was, it was an expensive spend at the time. For the business, the business was you know just starting to re, you know turn around, you know, t- turning a battleship with a boat or takes a while, and we're paddling, we're paddling, we're paddling. And I said, I really think this software is what we need, and he's like, I disagree. And so what I said to him was, I will forego paying myself for ninety days to cover this software. That's how much I believe in it. And he, and he he's like, really. Yeah, I believe in it that much. So I'm willing to take a, a, a risk with essentially my own personal money, not the business's money. And it turned out to be a huge force multiplier. And I, lo- I, loved, it. I loved him. He called me like, we're about two months. He's like, oh my gosh, that you were so right. That's because he this, you'd never heard of the software. It was basically a marketing platform that had just come out to allow us to connect with, with a push of a button, you know, hundreds of potential clients. And but I had to trust my gut, which goes back to an entrepreneur. Even if we have uh, resources and people, if we really believe in something and we're really willing to put our money where our mouth is, sometimes 
it, it, you, you got to lean into those uncomfortable moments and take that risk because we are risk takers as entrepreneurs. And a lot of people like my, my, my coach was more of a, a corporate CEO type, which is great. I needed that structure. But there's a part of that, like the crazy Willy Wonka part of my brain that I just need to try this flavor. I got to see if it works. I just, and it turned out to be a game changer for the business. But I'll tell you what, it was, it, it was a, a tough check to write. Um, it, it was a tough, stressful moment to implement because I, I was going against the advice of a trusted advisor and he, but he allowed me the latitude in our, in our space where okay, that's your decision. That's your reality. All right. Then let's make this thing the best thing we can possibly make it. Yeah. I, I think um, as entrepreneurs, that's a bit, our greatest gift is our gut instincts. And yeah. like, I found that 90% of the time my gut instincts, right. And even, you know, in small, um, the 10% of the times when it's not quite hundred percent on the money, well, those things are always quite easy to repair and kind of go back and and you know yeah. cover over the paste over the cracks. So uh, it's it's never dire. Um, I do remember one of my early mentors though um, got us very heavily focused on sort of um, so again back in the agency days doing big projects versus small projects. And eventually, I, I what he needed was evidence. He needed to see like your your guy, your coach. He needed to see evidence that the decision I wanted to make was the right one. Cause he's like, go and get these big six figure projects. And I was like, I'm sure we can make more money out and support fees. If we went with lots of small, like little and often lots of smaller projects. And um, we had a period where we had sort of three big projects and about a dozen smaller ones. And the dozen smaller ones ended up making three times the revenue as the, the three big ones. So he was kind of like, yeah. okay, well, I can see it, but you have to provide the evidence as well, no matter how crazy the ideas are. Well, it, it's very much a trust, but verify too. And that's part of the role of the coach. I will often challenge my clients on things. Okay, all right, I trust that you know what you're doing, but let's verify it with data. And yeah. I found really, to your point of, I really love the small client model. I really love owning a niche. Um, quick story is we, we had a, working with a client, they were in the staffing space, and they provided uh, personnel to schools. Okay, that's a kind of a small niche, anyways. Well, then they sort of provided medical support service or medical support personnel to the schools. Then they doubled down and they said, "We're going to provide physical therapists to the schools, and we're going to be the number one nation's leading provider in that space." Now you're talking like you know one or two per school. The, what they could charge and how they boosted their margins. And how they were able to grow that business to the point of being acquired because they were the number one provider in America for that space was huge. But it's such a it's a micro niche. But 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 what it, to your point is they were able to build the heck out of it. They were able to charge a lot more. Their margins were robust versus saying I'm going to be all things to all people and be a staffing competing on the staffing space. You know, it, anybody listening who's especially a solopreneur startup, if you can own a niche and you can own it better than anyone else, you can. You'll become as you'll be seen as an expert, and when you're seen as an expert, you can charge expert-like fees. Awesome! Oh, I'm, we're coming towards the end, Todd. I'm afraid I could sit here and talk all day, but um, uh, what's um, tell us about um, from suck to success? Your book, then. So, um, what what's your plans with that? Well, so it's it's my plan with the book was to really write it for an entrepreneur who I was. I was you know I started my business when I was 27. And I wanted to really write it for me because it talks so much about the mindset of the entrepreneur in the first four chapters. And the last eight chapters are about strategy, execution, people, all those different things. And it's been a crazy blessing. I mean, the book's been out maybe two months. It's an international bestseller. It's number one in multiple countries. And the, the feedback has been phenomenal. And I love it when someone writes to me and says, hey, uh, I read your book. I thought you were writing about me. 
I, I see my, so much of myself in this book. I see so much of myself in your stories. And I include other stories. I use a, a friend of mine, Brian Scooter Moore from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Nigel Bennett from AquaGuard, and some other you know, well, relatively well-known entrepreneurs who've, hit, who've had to go from suck to success. And it, the, the purpose of the book was really so that entrepreneurs who are struggling don't feel alone because an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And at the end of each chapter is, is, is assignments of things you can do immediately so you get immediate value from the book versus having to wait to the end. Nice. Excellent. Um, how can people get hold of you, Tom? So um, first of all, I'll go back to the book. If they go to my website from sucktosuccess.com, I'm happy to give them a free chapter. Just mention that they heard me on your show. And for anybody who, who wants to talk to me, it's really easy. I'm super easy to find. It's Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. Reach out to me. I, I always say to people, I love talking entrepreneurship, love talking to entrepreneurs who are a little bit stuck. I, I, it's Monday here in the US. I talked to two entrepreneurs yesterday who aren't clients just to help them get unstuck about some of the struggles they're having. So please reach out. Again, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And I, I want to help anybody who was where I was at when I felt very much alone and isolated. Awesome. So on to my final question then, Todd. So uh, I did pre-warn you about this. You've hopefully had time to prepare something. So we are going to jump into the Fearless Business Time Machine and um, you get to punch in the date. So we're going to go back to a year in your past and you're going to have a word with Todd T minus X years. So what year is it and what would you say to Todd back then? Oh, I can be super specific. Um, I, I would go back to September 9th of 2006, which is the day I fired my entire company and I started over. I literally thought, I had just blown it. I had screwed everything up. I had screwed up my business. I had screwed up my household. I, I was a complete and utter failure. And what I would say to me at the time, if I could go back today in 2021 to 2006, I would say, this mess you've made will become your message. This mess you've made will help others not make the same mistakes. This, this, these mistakes you've made, these challenges you've created for yourself will be the, this what today, September 9th, 2006 is the defining moment of your life in your life will be changed forever. And you know what? It will be okay. Because I'm telling you what, Robin, I was telling myself that it was a complete nightmare and I was going to be homeless. I, it, my itty bitty shitty committee was screaming loud and proud in my head because it had 600,000 reasons to do so. So I would go back and tell myself it would be okay. And this, this mess is your message and it is the defining day of your life. I'm, I'm going to have to ask you about the itty bitty shitty committee. <laughs> to slow it down, then I can't say it as quickly as you. What's that yeah. one? <laughs> that, that's the imposter syndrome. That's what I call it. It's, it's the voices in our head that, that tell us we should be all things to all people all the time. It's the voices in our head that will sit with other entrepreneurs or other successful people saying, oh, they have it all figured out. They know what they're doing. You know, you, you, even you see it socially, like, wow, that person's a better parent than I am. Look at their kids, just adore them. Or wow, he, you know, that, that relationship looks much better than mine. It's the comparison part. It's, it's the I'm not enough part of the way we treat ourselves. Well, the reality is, we are always more than enough. It's reframing how we do things, reframing stress, reframing failure, moving it into learning. Um, all those pieces of that, of that is, it's, it's recognizing essentially for me, when I always compare it to when my itty bitty shitty committee was running my life, it was drive, my life was a car and it was in the driver's seat. Well, once I put it in the passenger seat, I stayed in the driver's seat, I took control of the wheel. And in taking control of the wheel, the itty bitty committee is still there. It's still chirping in my ear. The reality is it's not going to go away. What I can do is two things. I can listen to it, recognize it, acknowledge it, because sometimes it did keep me safe. And two, the more I, I, I get better at what I do, it'll just show up a little bit less. And when it shows up less, it'll be a little bit quieter. When it's a little bit quieter, it's a whole lot easier to deal with. But dude, I'm telling you, you know, since 2000, what is it? 
20 years later, almost uh, 15 years later, it still happens. It just happens less. Yeah, well, I, I think your coaching clients are incredibly lucky to have you, Todd, and for you, oh, thank you, you to have gone through that experience and come out stronger and, and to be able to, um, I always think like as coaches, we have to have those stories to be able to draw on in order to be able to help our clients kind of make more powerful and, and empowering um, decisions for their, their own businesses as well. So I'm sure they're grateful for you having gone through that traumatic um, experience <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Um, but it sounds like you've got a very, very, an excellent way of kind of a, um, approaching it and dealing with it now, which is um, which is amazing to see. So, Todd, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving up your time this afternoon to come onto the podcast. Oh, Robin, I, I certainly am happy to be here. I, I certainly see as investing my time, and I appreciate you for the opportunity to be here. Awesome. So uh, don't forget, folks, do go and check out from suck to success.com. Uh, Todd's got a free chapter of the book there, and I strongly recommend going and buying a, um, buying the full copy as well. It's, it's on Amazon. We can help it here in the UK to get it to a bestseller here too. Um, oh, I'm that'd sure. be great. <laughs> and, uh, and don't forget to go and connect with Todd on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Um, we've got, we'll make sure we stick all of your uh, social hands in the show notes so people can get in touch with you, Todd. But thanks again. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Robin. <laughs>